While Christmas for most of us means holidays, cheer and goodwill to others, there are some who see it as an opportunity to exploit the festive season for their own benefit, irrespective of the price that others may have to pay, some even with so much as their lives. In what must be deemed as arguably the most terrifying act of crime against citizens at Christmas in Sydney's history became known as the infamous Christmas Woolworths bombings. The first of the Woolworths bombings extortion attempts began in the middle of October 1980 when a typewritten note was found at the chain store's head office stating that particular brands of flour and cake mix had been contaminated with poison and then placed back on display in the stores. The note said that now the lethal products had been put back on the shelves at Woolworths stores at Town Hall and Double Bay in Sydney's eastern suburbs. The following day, a caller rang Woolworths head office demanding $800,000 to tell them what packets had been contaminated and exactly where they were located. A deadline on the 27th of October was given to come up with the money. Police were called in, but the situation was diffused when Woolworths refused to pay the ransom and all of the alleged poisoned products were removed. None of the products were found to be contaminated and the extortion attempt was put down to the work of a crackpot. Two months later, on the 17th of December, on the Woolworths store in Warilla on the New South Wales south coast, a blast from a time bomb planted within the store caused more than $350,000 worth of damage. Fortunately, the bomb had been triggered after working hours and no one was hurt. Two days later, at the Woolworths store at Maitland in the Hunter Valley, another time bomb went off, again after hours, and caused about $300,000 worth of damage to the store. As with the first bombing, no one was in the store, and again no one was hurt. Police and Woolworths executives were puzzled. There had been no warnings of the blasts and no ransom demands. What was going on? A disgruntled ex-employee, perhaps, or an employee who still worked there, maybe. Or could it be the worst possible scenario that it was a random bomber with absolutely no reason to set off bombs who was doing it for kicks? But whatever the reason, it didn't look good. And they didn't have to wait for long to find out. Three days before Christmas Day 1980, the bombers made contact. An employee at the Woolworths Town Hall store at the heart of Sydney received a phone call from a man who said that in the store's jewellery department they would find a letter of demand addressed to the Woolworths general manager. Whoever had written the letter claimed responsibility for the poisoned products and the Warilla and Maitland bombings and put them on notice that if they didn't cooperate, more stores would be bombed immediately. 
Given that at the time Woolworths had more than 260 supermarkets and big W retail outlets throughout New South Wales, meant the bomber, who they knew by now meant business, could strike anywhere and at any time. Only this time it could be when innocent customers were in the stores. Three days later, on Christmas Eve, when the city was packed with late-night Christmas shoppers and at around 2.30 that afternoon, police received the phone call they had been dreading. An unidentified caller told them that any minute a bomb was about to go off in the town hall store and to get everyone they could out of the premises immediately. In a scene that could have been like a bomb warning in London during the Blitz, customers were told to drop what they were doing and clear the building immediately. They made it just in time when a loud explosion blew out all the windows and buckled the George Street side of the store. Seeing as the bombers had only given ten minutes' notice, it was considered a miracle that only two shoppers received minor injuries. Immediately after the town hall bombing, the Pitt and Liverpool Street's Woolies stores and the ones at King's Cross and Eastwood received threatening phone calls telling them that they were about to be blown up. The customers and staff fled for their lives. When the dust settled, it was determined that the bomb at the town hall store had been triggered off in the toy section, which was unquestionably one of the busiest sections given that it was Christmas Eve and only a few hours before closing time. It was filled with parents and children doing their last-minute Christmas shopping. In praising his staff for their quick action in getting the customers out at grave risk to their own lives, Woolworths director John Hendy expressed his contempt of the bombers by telling the press that how anyone could place a bomb in the kiddie section on Christmas Eve on one of the busiest days of the year, beggar's belief, he said. Soon after, the bosses of Woolworths received the phone call they knew was coming. This time, the bombers demanded $1 million or more stores would be bombed during the post-Christmas sales. The million dollars was to be made up of cash, 10 gold bars and 22 diamonds. It was to be placed in a bag and suspended from the ferry wharf on Sydney Harbour, near Taronga Park Zoo. Acting on the advice of the of Sydney's most experienced police officer on such matters, Chief Superintendent John Anderson of the Consorting Squad, Woolworths executives agreed to pay the bombers the ransom and meet their demands to the letter. It worked. Obviously smarter at uh, making and triggering bombs than they were at collecting million-dollar ransoms, when one of the bombers swam up in a frogman's suit to the bag containing the ransom hanging off the wharf, and instead of cutting the rope beneath the water, his hand reached out and tried to undo the rope attached to the wharf, police grabbed him and dragged him onto the wharf. Soon after, his accomplice was arrested and taken into custody and the pair were charged with the Woolworths bombings. 
a musician, Larry Burton Danielson, and his accomplice, Gregory Norman McCarty, both from the tiny hamlet of Huskisson on the New South Wales south coast, were charged with multiple offences relating to all of the Woolworths bombings. After staging a daring attempt, which he was foiled at the last minute, both men were put on trial where they pleaded not guilty. Both were found guilty by a jury on all counts. During sentencing, trial judge Justice Muir showed his contempt of the two men who had exploded a large bomb in the toy section of a department store during the busiest time of the year and allowed citizens only 10 minutes to escape by describing their crime. The judge described their crime as monstrous action. In April 1982, Danielson, who was sentenced to 20 years in prison, McCarty, who had escaped from Parramatta Jail in a garbage truck a few weeks earlier, was returned to jail after being recaptured on the Gold Coast on July 30 and sentenced to 27 years. Both men received a non-parole period of less than nine years. After being deported to New Zealand upon his release, Danielson died there in 2014. After a public outcry, McCarty was released from Cessnock Jail in May 1988 after serving only six years of his 27-year sentence, which included an extra five years for an escape attempt. McCarty struggled to keep on the straight and narrow. Uh, he was busted for drugs in 1997 and was charged with stabbing in Sydney in 2006, where he reportedly referred to himself as the bomber. He was acquitted from the stabbing charge. Nothing untoward has been heard of him since. <laughs> 